Take your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Now what you're going to hear today, the lesson today is, I don't know anything that will help you more in the coming days. This applies to everybody. I want you to see it in scripture. We're in a series called Horizontal Church, where we're talking about, you know, we have vertical church, which is me and Jesus. Horizontal church is me and you, our relationships with each other. And in your bulletin again are, is the list. There are 57 one another's in the New Testament of the way we're to treat one another, 57 of them. We've distilled it down to 10. We've looked at receiving one another, honoring one another, serving one another. Today we're going to group numbers four and five together, forgiving one another. You might as well just go ahead and brace up. It's going to be brutal. And bearing with one another, bearing with one another, put up with the man. It's called marriage. I don't know anything that'll help you more than what God's word's going to say today. Let me say it again for the fourth week in a row, for the fourth week in a row, what makes a great marriage, family, church, the way you treat one another. It's not your money. It's not your age. It's not your education. It's not your intelligence. It's the way you treat one another. Your marriage will be what it is because of the way you treat each other. Your family will be what it is. Your community will be what it is because of the way you treat each other. This church, it'll be what it is because of the way we treat one another. It's not the building. It's the way we treat each other. That's the bottom line of vertical, of a horizontal church. It's the way we treat each other. Now, <clears throat> why every relationship requires forgiveness. Marriage, family, boys club, every relationship requires forgiveness. Somebody tell me why. Because all, what's the word all mean? Have sinned and we're good at it. People still do. If you don't have forgiveness, you can't have an ongoing relationship. We're not real good at this in this nation. We had better get good at it. All right, we're going to read what the scripture says about this in Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look in verse 30. Ephesians 4.30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What's the word grieve mean? Offend. How many of you just really want to offend God Almighty? I've done it a few times. Why does the Bible say, Do not offend or grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're saved for the day of redemption? Verse 31 tells us how we do it. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor means quarreling, argumentative quarreling, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, which is hard-heartedness. What does verse 31 tell me and you? If I choose to be bitter, hard-hearted, if I choose to do this, I will offend the living God. And I don't want to offend him. And then the Bible goes on to tell you and I in verse 32, be ye kind to one another. There's another one of the one another's tender hearted. Watch this one. Forgiving one another. Are we supposed to forgive one another? How you know? Thank you. You read it. But now watch this. It's conditional. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Has anybody here been forgiven? Big time. I doubt there are many people that have been forgiven as much as I have but you still needed it some. Does the Bible tell me to forgive people? Conditionally, the same way God forgives people. And just because the chapter breaks doesn't mean the thought breaks. Chapter five, verse one, therefore be what? Be imitators, copy God. Be imitators of God as his dear children. If I'm going to imitate God, what am I going to do? I'm going to be kind to people, tenderhearted and forgiving people to imitate him. To offend him I need to be hard-hearted, bitter, angry, and unforgiving. See the difference. So the Bible tells you and I that we have to forgive one another for relationship's sake. Let me define forgiveness for you. A lot of debate about forgiveness. Let me just give you an actual definition of what it is scripturally, because so, we need to know what it is and what it isn't. Here's the definition of forgiveness from scripture. It is a deliberate decision of the will to release an offense against you. It's deliberate. You do it on purpose. It's a decision. It's of the will to release. You, you did this against me. 
I release you. You don't owe me anything. Bless you to forgive. Now, <clears throat> deserved or not, it doesn't matter whether they deserve it or not. It doesn't matter whether they ask or not. You don't have to ask me to forgive you before I choose to do it. You're forgiven. You don't owe me a thing. We're done with that. Now, let me say this, because this is where people get in trouble. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has nothing to do with your feelings. This is an act of the will. I've had many people say to me, upset, I, I tried to forgive, but I just can't do it. And I said, what do, what do you mean you can't do it? I just feel so angry still. It has nothing to do with your feelings. I don't care what you feel. You can make a decision of your will to say you are forgiven. On this day, from this day forward, you owe me nothing. And you, the reason for that is I don't have much control over my feelings. Some of you have no control over your feelings. Forgive me. But I am in complete control of my will. I can make any decision I want to make. Forgiveness has nothing to do with emotions. It's the will. Where I say, you did it, I forgive you. You don't owe me a thing. And so that's the definition. It means a deliberate decision to forgive an offense committed against us. All right. Now we're going to talk about forgiveness today. There are three reasons I'm going to forgive you. And three reasons I want you to forgive. I want you to listen to every one of them from the Bible and tell me if you don't need to do this. Let's turn to the number one passage on forgiveness in the Bible. It's Matthew chapter 18. It is the great teaching of Jesus on forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18. And uh, I'm going to be honest with you. When I talk about this, I get more, uh, what's the word? Angry emails over this than anything I deal with. Because this is the one thing that's killing us. And dear ones, I just want you to listen to what the Bible says. I'm going to tell you this before we, before we even look at this. God is for you. He's not against you. He's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to rip you off. Everything he does is for our good. So understand that everything's for our good. Matthew chapter 18 is the great passage where the Bible teaches you and I about forgiveness. Number one reason I forgive is I have been forgiven. I can afford to forgive because I have been forgiven. I'm a forgiven man. That's Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times. The reason he asked seven times was under the old Jewish law, you forgave somebody seven times for seven mistakes. After seven, you don't have to forgive anymore. So he said, am I still under Jewish law? Do I have to forgive? Apparently James was getting on his nerves or something. How many times do I have to forgive? So Jesus answers him and he says this, verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. How many times do I forgive? Somebody do the math. 490. But you understand numbers mean something in the Bible. And the number seven is the number of perfection or eternal completion. In other words, you don't ever stop. You forgive completely as long as they need it. And Jesus said, now let me tell you a story to help you understand forgiveness and how that the entire kingdom is propped up on forgiveness. Everything I've got is propped up on forgiveness. It's not forgiveness plus me doing good. It is the kindness of God. All right, the Bible says this, verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like, this is what life is like, a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Who's the king? It's the living God. Who are the servants in this story? me and you. So this is a story about me and God and our relationship, how we relate to each other. Verse 24, he'd begun to settle accounts. One was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. I think actually that comes out to about 24, 25 million dollars in today's currency. So I owe the, how many of you believe I owed him something at one time? All have sinned and I'm in trouble. I built a wall between me and my creator with my sins. What does it mean? Well, I don't know what I'm telling you. Let's read it. The scripture said this. Verse 25, he was not able to pay. How many of you know there's nothing I can do to make things right between me and God? I, if I promise to be good the rest of my life, give money to an orphanage, I can't repay my sins and what I owe. You do understand that. Dear ones, if you could pay for it, what's that thing on the wall back there? If you could do something to make up for your sins and mistakes, why did Jesus have to die on a cross? I can't pay the debt I owe to him. And it's tremendous. I'm in trouble. All right. You say, why, why are you talking like this? Listen to me. It is grace that taught my heart to fear before grace, my fear is relieved. 
I need to know I was in trouble before I know about the cross. And I owed him a tremendous debt. I couldn't pay it. I wasn't able to pay verse 25. He commanded that his, he be sold, his wife, his children, all he had, that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me. I'll pay you all. Could he do it? No. How's a a blue collar laborer going to pay back $25 million? He said to the master, give me, give me time and I'll make it right by you. You can't do it. You can't do that. All right. Here's the King's response. Verse 28, verse 27. The master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, forgave him everything he owed him. What's that picture of? It's not that I promised to do better. It's that I humbled myself. And I asked him to have mercy on me. And when I did that, what does it mean he was moved with compassion? The heart of God grew tender toward me and he said, you don't owe me anything. You're forg- Listen, you're looking at a forgiven man who knows it. And you're not going to put that stuff back on me because I understand the power of the cross. Listen, the whole kingdom is propped up on what? Everything I've got is propped up on what? I owed a debt I could not pay. And when I humbled myself, he said, you owe me nothing. That's forgiveness. It's pro- we call it mercy. Mercy is when you do not get what you do deserve. Grace is when you do get what you don't deserve. This is mercy. The whole kingdom's propped up on mercy. Now, the reason that I can forgive, I've been forgiven. I'm a forgiven man. And a man that's been forgiven or a woman that's been forgiven can afford to say, God bless you. You don't know me nothing. You don't know what they did. Settle down, Bubba. I know what I did. And I saw the cross. And I saw the price of my forgiveness on the face of Jesus. You don't owe me nothing. It's easy to forgive when you're a forgiven person. Now, the Bible teaches you and I, I'm just going to quote some verses to you. Romans chapter five, verse one. We have peace with God. There was a time I didn't have peace with him. There was a time when I was his enemy because of my sins. Do you know why I've got peace with God now? We have peace with God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I trust what Jesus did on that cross. God is, there's no longer a problem between me and him. We have peace with each other. He's smiling on me now. We have peace. And in case you're wondering how bad it was, verse 20 of Romans 5 says this, where my sin abounded, his grace abounded higher. His kindness is greater than my blindness. His goodness to me is greater than my sin against him. That's why I can forgive. Now, how many of you believe that my heavenly father expects me to forgive you because he's forgiven me. How many of you believe that? All right, you saw the story in Matthew 18. Let's read verse 33. The Bible said this, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? What's the king say? I expect you to forgive people the way I've forgiven you. Amen. I can forgive because I've been forgiven. Number two, all right, this is where we get into weary waters here. This is when people are troubled, but let's listen to what the scripture says. Number two, my ongoing relationship with God depends on the way I forgive you. They say, no, no, Brother Brian, I'm a Tom T. Hauler. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. No, you don't. You cannot be right with God unless you are right with people. If I choose to refuse to forgive you and hold a grudge against you, I just cut my relationship off with the king. Now, that's hard for some people to fathom, and a lot of people don't teach that, but this is what the Bible teaches. Let's read it. Verse 27, the master of that servant was moved with compassion, forgave him all his debt. Verse 28, that servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred dollars. Denary. Laid hands on him, took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. Listen to me. He was owed this. Somebody was in debt to him. His fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him saying, have patience with me. I will pay you all, which is what he said. Verse 30, he would not. What does that mean? He made a decision. I am not going to forgive you. I'm going to hold it against you and I'm not going to release the debt. He made a decision to keep that debt intact and to hold on to him. He went and threw him into prison. Uh, went and put him in prison until he should pay all. Verse 31, the fellow servants saw what he'd done. They were very grieved, came and told their master what had been done. You can call that prayer. Verse 32, the master, after he'd called him, said to him, what's these words? You wicked servant. Wait a minute. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought this was the guy who just smiled on me and had compassion on me. And now he calls me back into his throne room and he calls me wicked now. 
Can you see clearly that if I am bitter toward you, I have disrupted my relationship with my king? You can see the difference there. And the Bible said this, I forgave you all that debt because you asked me, verse 33 again, should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant as I had pity on you? His master was angry, delivered him to who? The torturers. We'll see who they are till he was able to pay. Now the story is over. Truth is back. Verse 35, Jesus is teaching. So my heavenly father will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother, his trespasses. All right, now listen to me carefully. If I get an attitude and I let bitterness come in my heart against you or anybody and I begin to resent you and I have unforgiveness in my heart, I've cut off my relationship between me and heaven. Now listen to me. I do not lose my salvation. I'm still his child. If I fall over in bitterness, I'm still going to heaven, but I've lost two things. I lose the presence of God in my life. He withdraws his Holy Spirit from me. As David said, do not take from me the joy of your salvation. Return to me your spirit. I lose the joy and the peace and the life of God. And not only that, I cost myself the blessing of God. Question, those of you who know the Bible, will my prayers be answered if I'm angry with somebody? If I regard iniquity in my heart, you will not hear my prayer. My children need my prayers. I can't afford to be angry with you. My church needs my prayers. I can't afford to be bitter with you. So it affects, it infects and disrupts my, listen, he's still my father. I'm going to heaven when I fall over, but I have cut off the relationship. I may believe you can be married to somebody and not be in fellowship with them. How many of you believe that? How many of you have ever done it? Come on guys, you know what the answer is. You ever done this right here? What's wrong, baby? What's the answer? They all give the same answer. Nothing. Nothing. Now, technically, you still got a marriage license between the two of you. How many of you sense there's a little problem in this relationship right here? Just thought you needed to know that. It disrupts my relationship. And then the third reason, according to Scripture, my safety and my well-being and the well-being of my family depends on my forgiveness. This is the big one right here that's killing us in the land today. If you want to destroy your family, grow bitter. If you want to ruin your marriage, grow bitter. If you want to get sick and you want to be demonized, grow bitter. The Bible teaches you and I, this is the greatest battle there is for saints today. Most of you probably are not in danger of getting on crack again. I don't worry about y'all getting on crack again. One or two of you might struggle. I'm too old for it myself. I don't even know anybody that deals in it anymore. They're all dead. I don't think crack's my big problem these days. I'm not running off with the guitar player. He's not my type. There's a lot of things we don't need to worry about. This is the one that's killing the people. This is the one that's getting us. Let me tell you why this is the biggest battle you'll face in your life till Jesus gets back. For this reason, it is Satan's greatest tool in your life. It is the enemy's greatest trap in your life. Let's turn and see that in scripture. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter two is where the Bible teaches you and I, this is the greatest tool in our lives. If you will, turn me down just a little bit there. This is the enemy's greatest tool in our lives. There's a lot of things some of you would never get into this is the one people fall for. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 tells you and I this. 2 Corinthians 2. Got it? Verse 10. Let's read two verses here. Verse 10. Whom you forgive anything. What's the word anything mean? Does that mean little stuff? Does that mean big stuff? All right. Whom you forgive anything, I, have for, I forgive If indeed I have forgiven anything, I've forgiven that one in your sakes for the presence of Christ, in the presence of Christ. Read verse 11. Lest Satan should what? Take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of how he gets into our lives. How does the enemy get in your head? How does he get into your marriage and tear it up? It starts right here. It starts in your head. And the Bible said, what does the Bible say right there? You're not going to destroy me because I know what you're trying to do. That's called intelligence. We, our, our military has a group called intelligence officers and they go into the enemy's camp and try to find out what the enemy's doing and come back and tell our military this is what they're doing so you can be ready. This is God's intelligence for you right here. He's telling you this is the door he's coming through right here. He's gonna come through unforgiveness and bitterness and hardness of heart and th- we're not ignorant of how he operates. 
in our lives. Now, dear ones, we saw in Matthew chapter 18, there's something called tormentors that torment the people of God. Tell me what the Bible calls them. Demonic powers. And they're demonic powers that find their way into believers' lives through bitterness and unforgiveness. And, and here, here's, I'm going to cut to the chase. Unforgiveness leaves me vulnerable and broken before my enemy. And there's nothing I can do. You don't stand, you don't have any defense. You can say the Lord will protect me. No, he won't. It is conditional upon forgiveness. This is the one thing that opens doors so wide to us. And it leaves me open to demonic activity. Let me mention several of them from the Bible that happen in our lives. Number one, depression. Not all depression is from unforgiveness and bitterness. A big chunk of it is. And psychologists and medical doctors tell us that who don't even believe in God. And the scripture teaches you and I that the depression often comes from my refusal to forgive. Misery, Isaiah 61 talks about the misery that comes. The anger, the anger that's burning our nation up right now, what's most of it rooted in? We're mad with somebody because of what they did. It's the refusal to forgive. Listen, anger is a demonic presence. It's never used of God. The wrath of man never works the righteousness of God. And we let that stuff get inside of us and it burns inside of us when we do that. Tormenting thoughts. I've had people say, I just, I just, when I think about it, I get so upset. Do you think that's the Holy Spirit of God? That, that's not even your thinking right there that's burning you up like that. Much of the mental illness, medical community tells us now, so much of the mental illness is rooted in bitterness or as we call it today, stress. Where's stress come from? We're angry and we're not going to forgive people for what they did. And I will never forget what they did. And this is opening our lives and minds and hearts to the garbage that's in there. And now the medical community tells us so much disease. Disease is tied to the bitterness and the anger that we've allowed to seep into our nation here. So number one, it leaves me vulnerable to my enemy. But listen to what the Bible teaches in Matthew 18 bitterness, or as I call it bitterness, unforgiveness, that robs me of the inheritance I have in Jesus. Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he gave me many wonderful things. And when I move into unforgiveness, I lose it all. I lose it for the time being. Let me mention several of them to you. Of course, the presence of God is one of them. One of my favorites that is promised in the Bible that Jesus bought at the cross is peace of mind. I like being at peace. I like laying down at night and sleeping like a baby. I like waking up in the morning and saying, I have been blessed beyond measure. I like walking through the day and laughing and smiling and having a great time. And I like listening to the music and dancing when nobody's looking. And I just enjoy, I've got one of the greatest lives in the world. You know why? Because nobody owes me a dime. But if you want to lose that, you start hammering on people intellectually, mentally, inside of your heart and whatnot. All the things that he gives you and I, the joy and the health, the rest, the relationships, that's where it comes from. Let me, let me give you the gospel according to Mr. Everett. Anybody know who Mr. Everett is? Owns the BP station over at Harrowhead. Y'all know who Mr. Everett is? Y'all need to go by and sit. Tell him I sent you. I'll get, some, I'll get a discount if y'all go by and see him. You need to go by and see Mr. Everett at the BP station over there. Wonderful man. And on the fence around his service station, there's a sign and he's got it written on the fence. It says this, to refuse to forgive is to drink poison hoping it'll hurt somebody else. That's the gospel according to Mr. Everett. That's also the Bible. It is to drink poison hoping it'll hurt somebody else. Not many folks are caught up in this and suffering because of it. Listen to me, dear ones. It is the bitterness that destroys marriages. I've watched a lot of marriages fall apart since I've been a pastor. The majority of them came through unforgiveness. It wasn't adultery. It wasn't the growing apart. It was that little root that started and just grew. And it started as a thought and somebody nurtured it and then it grew and then it became what we call resentment. And then it became bitterness and finally the divide came. Most homes that are destroyed are destroyed by bitterness. I, I was just stunned this past week when our country celebrated Thanksgiving. What was the number one topic discussed in social media and in the news this past week about Thanksgiving? Number one topic, what was it? how to stand and tolerate your family without killing them. Article after article about how to be in the same room with your family and not fight with them. Is this what we've come down to in this nation? To where we cannot simply get along anymore because of our angst toward one another. Well, the Bible teaches this is the poison that destroys. Listen, I don't know many churches that have been divided through drugs. I don't know many churches that have been destroyed over pornography. I know a bunch of churches that are dead as a rake today because there's people sitting in a room that won't talk to each other. 
and they're holding enmity against one another. And listen, they don't, they don't drink that whiskey. <laughs> they don't listen to that rock and roll. But I'll never forget what that old bitty did to me. Boy, there's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, isn't there? It was my week to do the flowers and she came up here and did the flowers, but it was my week. That, that is, that's, that, that right there. 22 years later, we're, we're still not speaking to each other. This is nuts. It's destroying churches. It is destroying our nation. Dividing our nation. We can't just disagree with each other. I got to hate you now that we disagree. I want you to lose your job if you do wrong. I want, you to, I want your family boiled in oil. What is this angst and anger? It's demonic. It's the darkness that's covering our land right now that the Bible speaks of. Bitterness is the poison. What do you call it? Does anybody, anybody knows this? What do you call it when the body goes rogue and turns against itself and starts devouring itself? What do you call that? Cancer. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at what the Bible says. And then we're going to look at a prophecy about our nation. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is where the scripture speaks of people who have a, an angry message and a divisive, they're dividing people. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17 says this. I don't want you to see this. 2 Timothy 2, 17. Their message will spread like what? Cancer. The great apostles said, we've got a cancer in this church. We've got a cancer in our family. And the cancer is the way people are speaking, the message, that they're, the way they're talking to each other. What does cancer do, ultimately, if left unchecked? It destroys the body. It destroys families. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Let's see a prophecy of our nation. Galatians chapter 5. See if you see this coming in the land. Those of you that are my age, close to my age or older, see if you haven't seen a change in 50 years, according to the prophecy made in Scripture. All right, Galatians chapter five tells you and I this. Let's read verse 14 of Galatians 5, 14. All the law is fulfilled in one word. Here it is, love your neighbor. If you were to say to me, Brother Brian, I've decided to follow Jesus. I wanna follow Jesus. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to your church. I'm gonna meet the people. I wanna, I wanna be a disciple of Christ. Tell me everything I have to do. Love your neighbor. That's it. That's what it means. All the law, you can fulfill every law requirement by just loving people. It always goes back to just caring about people. It always goes back to loving people. Now, let me ask you a deep question here. If I love you, am I going to forgive you? What's the definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13, 7? Love refuses to remember when it's offended. Love never remembers when it's been offended. So if I want to fulfill the law, I know people that would give $100,000 to an orphanage to keep them forgiving their neighbor. It's not about doing good. It's about doing what he says. And all the laws fulfill it in one word. Now watch the warning here in verse 15. If you bite and devour one another, beware you will be what? Consumed. The Greek word is destroyed by one another. You want to destroy your family? Just start chewing on each other. You get negative toward each other and you start, what does bite mean? With words, you just start chewing on each other. You become critical of each other in your family. What does the Bible say happen? You'll destroy your family. Little snide remarks turn into angry remarks, which turn into outright rages. And then we're going to destroy each other. What's happening in my nation right now? We're biting and devouring one another and we're going to destroy this nation with the way we teach each other. What's it all rooted in? I am not going to forget what you did. I refuse to treat you good because of the way you've acted. Whatever, the difference in opinion. And this is what destroys lives. Now, and I'm going to show you how this starts in your life. This begins very small. Our enemy comes in. He starts right here, very small, and then it grows. What happens if you let that tree grow? Let's look at it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. If you let this tree grow in your head and in your heart, and there was, here's a, I'm going to, I want you to see a principle the principle of the kingdom of God, Jesus explained in Mark 4, says this. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out real tiny, but give it time and it'll grow and fill the whole house. It was the kingdom of darkness starts the same way. It starts real small. Listen to what the Bible said. It is the little foxes that are spoiling the vine. It's not the big stuff that's killing us. It's the little stuff. 
And the Bible said the kingdom of darkness starts small like a little seed and then it grows till it destroys the house. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, verse 15. Hebrews 12, 15, looking carefully. What's looking carefully mean? You better watch out. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of what? What is a root of bitterness? Is that a big tree? Small tree? A little tiny little root. A little tiny root of bitterness. Now here's what you watch for, a little tiny root of bitterness. The Bible says it'll, it'll uh, springing up. What does springing up mean? Ag term, what does it mean? You, let that, you put that little root in the ground. What does springing up mean? You let it grow. You just start letting it grow inside your heart. Let it grow inside your mind. And if you let that thing keep growing, guess what's going to happen? What does it say? Lest any root of bitterness springing up and many be what? Destroyed. Or here's how it starts. Your enemy gets in your head, maybe against your mate, a friend, your pastor, co-worker. I wonder what they meant when they said that. I don't think he appreciates me. Why do they have to be like that? Who do they think they are? Just little thoughts, just a tiny root of aggravation or bitterness. And at that point, you got to make a decision. You're going to let it grow. You're going to chew on it, entertain it. Say, yeah, yeah, that's right. They don't appreciate me. Why they do that? Lay into, I've heard people say this. I laid into bed. The more I thought about it, the matter I got. You are growing that root till it's going to destroy something. Or you can say in that moment, this ain't Jesus and this ain't the kingdom. Get the hell out of my head and go back where you came from. And I'm not cussing. That's where it comes from. Well, it is cussing, I guess. Sort of. Dear ones, the Bible said this. We are not ignorant of his schemes. Any thought that comes into my mind that is negative about anybody, that's a hotline to hell and I'm not putting up with it. You're going out right then. I'm not going to have, I know what this stuff does to families. I know what it does to people's health. I have buried people who committed suicide. It started out as a little aggravation and they let it grow. They chewed on it. They fed it. It consumed their lives and then a spirit of suicide followed in there. And the Bible said this. What does it say? Look carefully. What does look carefully mean? You better watch out. Be on guard lest a little root of bitterness get planted in your heart and mind and you let it grow and then your family is destroyed by it. Oftentimes when I counsel with people, we'll trace the root back. Guess where it started? About that big right there. Some little something. But anger got in there and bitterness and they chewed on it. This, it's like cheap bubble gum. You chew on it, it'll get bigger. And it just grows and grows till it destroys. This is what's so dangerous about the tragedy of it being in there. Now, question, why is this such a problem today? Why is this such a, and it's going to be a battle until Jesus gets back. It's a battle today like it's never been in my land. And I'm going to tell you what the scripture teaches. One of the great warnings, because the reason it's such a battle is because it's constant offense today. How many of you believe people are looking for something to be offended over today? All right, listen to scripture. Don't, don't listen to the news or to me. Listen to scripture. I'm going to give you a couple of prophecies concerning the latter days before Jesus would come back. I'll just give you 2 Timothy 3 said this. The Bible said, know this. Listen, if God said, know this, we need to, we should know this. In the latter days before the return of Christ, difficult times will come because men will be self-centered and greedy. Listen to what it says. Unforgiving, irreconcilable. They refuse to forgive people and we are not going to make it up with them. We're not going to get right with them. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when he mentioned the eight signs of the second coming of Jesus, three, I'm going to give you three of them that sort of match together. He said, men will be lawless. They'll have no respect for law. Love will grow cold. And number three, many will be offended. Jesus said, expect people to want to be offended, be easily offended. And you can't get them back together again after that day. I think the root of this whole thing is in Revelation chapter six, where the Bible tells you and I, I saw a red horse go out into the earth and he was given the power to take peace out of the earth. The men should hate one another and war with one another and kill one another. And he was given a great weapon. A dark power has gone out into the earth that has the ability to take peace from between people so that people will hate each other and battle one another. That's covering the earth right now. That's why this is such a battle for people today like we've, I've never seen in my lifetime. That's why, that's why the need is to be so careful with it. I'm going to say it again. If you trip, you'll trip here. This is where most believers will trip right here. And let me go ahead a little bit further. Since I'm going to get a few emails anyway, let me just add, load the machine up. 
A lot of things we, we don't tolerate in the church. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in that. Now we're going to be drinking and hell raising in the church. Come on, guys. Can I get amen over that? Thank you. We believe it's still wrong to run off of somebody else's wife. Well, it is. There's certain things we just know are wrong. This is the acceptable sin in the church. This is the one we look the other way at. This is the one we let go on. I know people that would slap me if I suggested they do certain things. And this is in their hearts. Do ones, all right, I'm going to ask you, uh, this is a hard question, so get ready. If I shoot you right between the eyes with a 40 caliber, or I slowly feed you arsenic to kill you, which way are you deader? Who said both? Move to the front of the line. It don't matter whether you get involved in some gross, horrible scandal or you just get angry and you feed on it till it destroys you. Dead is dead. I'd be more careful with an enemy who's trying to slip in the back door than I would who's trying to blow through the front door. And this is the back door enemy right here. All right, let me give you some help for this battle. A couple of things to help you with this. And I know, I know this lights people up when you talk about this because they want to talk about justice. Justice. They're not going to get away with this. Listen to me. Justice, forgiveness is justice transferred. Forgiveness is justice transferred. Let me quote to you from the passage we read earlier, Romans chapter 12, verse 19. Avenge not yourselves, beloved ones. Give it to the Lord, for vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. Let me make an announcement. OJ is going to get a fair trial. I wouldn't shout too loud if I was you. So are you. Everybody's going to get a fair trial. I promise you from that book, nobody on this planet will ever get away with anything they're not supposed to. The just judge of the universe will rule in the affairs of men. And he said, there is nothing hidden that will not be brought to the light on the just day. Listen, justice is not your business. Give it to the king and go on. You're not the judge. He is. I, I, I heard that. Here's what I heard somebody just think. Fine, I'll let God kill him. No, 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 no. Let me tell you what I've learned. I've learned in my old age, when, and I get, I get opportunities to be offended regular. I think it's by the nature of my job. Okay, and it's got a lot to do with my attitude. I get this opportunity regular. <laughs> and you know what I've learned? God bless you. I love you. Lord Jesus, bless them. Be good to them. Give them a raise. Let them be happy. Let me tell you what my Savior said hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. How long before we can say in this nation, I really don't know what I'm talking about. I really don't know the other side's heart. I really don't know everything I'm spouting off about. God be merciful to me, a sinner sounds a whole lot better than kill him, doesn't it? Forgiveness is justice transferred to where it belongs to the king. Number two, all righty. Well, this, God, I almost hesitate to say this, but I promise you, I didn't make this up. Blame him. Blame the one that wrote the book. Are you ready? Just grunt. True forgiveness always results in restored fellowship. That's what I thought. <laughs> True forgiveness always results in restored fellowship. How many Christians do I know that have said, I, fine, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. No, you hadn't. You might as well buckle up. It's going to get worse before we get out of here. Dear ones, to forgive is to come back into fellowship. All right, I'm going to make a surprising announcement. I sinned since I got saved 40 years ago. Amen. Oh, two of us have done it. I have sinned since I got saved 40 years ago. God loved me. He forgave me. He brought me into his family. But then I sinned after I was a Christian. You know what he said to me on the day I sinned? That's it. You can come to heaven, but you're going to live on the other side. Don't you ever speak to me again. Not. He did not speak to me when I held on to my sins. But when I humbled myself and said, I am sorry that was wrong. I ask you to forgive me. He smiled at me, took me back in his arms, became a father to me again, and the relationship was restored. Forgiveness has to restore the relationship. Okay, turn me to 1 John chapter 1. Let's let him take the heat for this one. 1 John chapter 1. How many times through the years... 
back when I was a country preacher, I could be more involved with people. And I'd sense that we had, to, you know, you, you just got walls between people in the church. You know what I mean by walls? Y'all don't know what I mean by walls? It's just a device. There's a division there. Now they're not cussing each other because good Baptists don't do that. But you just sense there's a problem here. And I'd go to him and I'd say, I sense there's a coolness between you and Sister Smell Fungus. What's going on here? And uh, they'll say, well, I'll never forget what that old bitty did to me. Now, don't, I, don't misunderstand me, preacher. I, don't misunderstand me. I've forgiven her. And I'd just say, you're lying, you're lying, you're lying. How come you don't talk to her? Well, I don't want to talk to her, but I've forgiven her. No, you hadn't. No, you hadn't. Somebody tell me this is some of the best preaching you ever heard. This is life-saving right here. As 1 John 1, 7 says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, me and you will have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from our sins. If you and I fall out, I can't forgive you and stay away from you. Has this ever happened to y'all? You run into somebody, you didn't even know there's a problem. I do this all the time. I think it's y'all, not me. I forgive you. Just this past week, I'll run into somebody and say, hey, I say, hey, how you doing? Fine. I love your hair. It's so pretty. Thank you. I just tell by the smell all is not well here. Well, you know, when somebody's sort of, they're, they're Christians, so they're not going to cuss you, but, but they're a little short with you. That's them saying, it's time for you to leave. I'm not going to be ugly. God bless you. If you can, I do this for a living. Well, when people do that to me, I just get a little bit closer. I'm not going anywhere till you smile at me. Matter of fact, you keep on, I'll rub right up against you. And I'm just going to stand there and tell you how much I love you. I'm going to act like I don't even know what's going on. And I'm going to sugar all over you till you either cuss me or break and get it right. Because if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. You say you have forgiven him. Why are you still sleeping on the couch? That was so good. That was good. Dear ones, you have got to come. To, if you've forgiven me, we got to go on together. Listen, it's not that you technically forgave so you can check it off before God. Forgiveness is to restore relationships. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's turn back over. I think we missed something there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. All right, if you forgive somebody, the Bible says you've got to do more than just forgive them. Gracious at the destroyed, tense relationships in the land today. Now, while we're turning there, let me throw in here because I do want people to know this. I'm not talking about assault. I'm not talking about that type of stuff. Somebody assaults you and hurts you, damages you. You forgive them for your sake. You're probably not going to restore a relationship there because you didn't have one to start with. I'm talking about husbands and wives, families, brothers and sisters in church, neighbors. I'm not talking about people who are attacked. You need to forgive them for your sake, but you probably, and I'm not dementing justice. Listen, the Bible said God put law enforcement in the earth to enforce justice on those who need it and to protect the innocent. So I'm not talking about saying, oh, bless you, come be my friend after you attack me. We're not talking about that. But you do need to forgive for your sake and you need to get yourself out of the prison. You know, the Bible talked in Matthew 18 about putting people in prison, debtor's prison. They used to have that. You ever put anybody in debtor's prison? You know where it's at? It's right here. And we put them in a prison in our hearts. They lay down at night. We take them out and beat on them intellectually, mentally. We chew on it. And then we put them back in that prison and leave them there. Won't you open the door? You know what the truth is. The day you decide to forgive is the day you open the prison door and find out what? You were the prisoner. Let them go. Let the king handle it. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 tells you and I this. This is a, a man had done something terrible. It was really bad. And the apostle wrote him and said, you need to forgive him. And here's what he said to verse six, the punishment, which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. On the contrary, you ought rather to do what? Forgive. This man did something awful. He told him to do what? Forgive the man and comfort him 
lest perhaps one will be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Verse nine, verse eight says what? Therefore I urge you what? You go see that man and talk to him, tell him you love him. Go reaffirm you love to him. Dear ones, we don't forgive till we get right in somebody's face and say, why can't we be friends? I don't know what happened between us. I'll accept all the responsibility. I'll take all the blame. I just want us to be friends. I'm sorry. If I did something to hurt you, I ask you to forgive me. And, and we'll forgive each other. But I want this relationship restored. The whole purpose of forgiveness is to keep people in relationship. It's not just to technically meet something so we can get off scotch-free. So I would encourage you to do that. Let me throw out one more here. Help for the battle. I love forgiveness. A lot, a lot of people, they, they're sort of mad because they have to forgive because God said do it. Okay, okay. <laughs> You're nuts. I love forgiveness. I love sleeping at night. I sleep like a baby. I love waking up happy in the morning. I love singing all day long, even if I can't sing in tune. I just love and I enjoy life. I love people. I love the outdoors. I even love my wife's dog now. Life is good. I just enjoy my life. Guess why? Nobody owes me a dime. And I've, I've learned real quick. Ain't nobody, I just, dear ones, enjoying life comes back to my slate is clean. Nobody owes me nothing. God bless you. If, if I can help you, I will. You just name it. There's such power in forgiveness. The man who mentored me, he said, uh, you know, me and my family, some of my family, they hated me because I was this and that and other thing. And, and they were critical of me and negative. Well, you know what? I can't, I'm not going to cuss you out because I'm a Christian. Hogwash. He said, I saw him. I'm coming down the street one day. They was coming toward me in this little small Texas town. He said, they saw me. They crossed the road to keep them facing me. He said, I crossed the road where they were. <laughs> Went right up to him and, and just told him, said, listen, I want you to know I'm sorry. If I hurt you, I'm sorry. He said, I'd get down here right now and kiss your feet. If I thought it'd make it any better, please forgive me. He said, they started crying and got on their knees and said, pray for me. You know, I need it. There was there's such power. A soft answer turns away wrath. But an ang what's going on in our nation right now? What does the Proverbs say? An angry word just keeps stirring it up. An enemy of our souls is getting in our heads. And the Bible said this, the accuser of the brethren who accuses them day and night, he'll get in your head and accuse your mate. He'll accuse your family. He'll accuse people of other races. Where do you think this racial strife is coming from? Heaven? Dear ones, we are wired we are wired by God to get along with one another because we are created in the image of God. The anger and the hatred and the division is wired from hell. And this stuff gets in our heads and these accusations and we receive it, it grows and then it defiles much. I love forgiveness. I think it's one of the greatest things in all the world. Plus I love being free. I can celebrate this stuff. And when I sense, I get this little stuff in my head. Let me tell you what I hear. I see a handcuff trying to get around my wrist. You are not taking me captive, sucker. You go back to where you came from. All right, let me tell you what happened. <clears throat> I had such a revelation of this from the Holy, from scriptures, the Holy Spirit, plus 38 years of pastoring. I watched in churches. This is the number one killer of churches. This is the number one destroyer of people that I've seen in my pastorate through the years is just the anger and the bitterness. And it just sucks the life out of people. They just lose their joy over what they did to me. I mean, it's just destroying our land today. And I made up my mind, that's not going to happen. Any negative thought that comes into my mind is going to be dealt with immediately. And, if, and, if, and sometimes I find them little boogers to be stubborn. Y'all know what stubborn means? Have you ever said, no, I'm not going to think that, and it came back? You know, sort of like, oh, no, I'm going to do it like sticky flypaper, and they're stuck to your hand. You're trying to get rid of it. And you can't get rid of it. I'm telling you, this is the battle right here. Well, let me tell you what I've learned. Once in a while, I'll just tell my enemy, you mention that one more time and I'm going to buy them a gift and mail it to them. I'd shut him up every time. I, thought, I remember about a year ago, I preached about this and said something and I said, listen, the enemy's working on you on somebody, you buy them something, mail it to them. I got five gifts in the mail the next week. One of them was a real nice shirt that I still wear. I, whoever sent it, I appreciate it. I don't know what I did, but I like that stuff. Made up my mind, it's not going to get in here. Love sees the best in other people. Love chooses to forgive. Love believes the best in other people. Love shows mercy. And love's not going to get stuck in this stuff. Let's make up our minds. That's not going to happen. Not one bit of it. Now, <clears throat> let me quit by saying this. 
A lot of times it's, de- it's December the 1st. How many of you got your tacky Christmas lights up yet? I got mine on there on the barn. I can't put them on the house. Mom don't allow it, so I put them on the barn. I got my tacky Christmas lights up. I'm burning them already. I just love tacky Christmas lights. I think they're beautiful. I love them decorations, handmade, all that's just wonderful out there. Christmas time. A lot of preachers, like in December, there's three or four Sundays, they'll preach Christmas messages. You have heard the Christmas message this morning. There was a wall between me and my creator. I built it. You know what Christmas is? Christmas is when he sent his son to tear down the wall between me and him and between me and you. Them walls can't go either way. All right, here's your homework. Since I'm teaching today, you have homework. This hadn't been no fun at all, has it? Sort of like when I had surgery on my neck right there and that doctor came in there and she said, uh, I hate to tell you this, you got cancer right there. And she said, we're going to have to have an operation. I might have to cut it out. So I went that and they laid me down there and they're going to cut this out. And I thought, find me another doctor. Talk ugly about me like that, cancer. And you want to cut me? Find me a doctor that's nice to me and tells me how pretty I am. Dr. Graham, she sure enough, she laid me down there and she cut that thing out. Hurt me. I mean, it hurt. Plus, I remember I was laying and operating him and I asked her, who picked this stupid music out? Is this your music? How do you operate? The, how do you operate the Bon Jovi? I'm afraid you'll get to dancing and cut me all the way through. Now, let me tell you something. Dr. Graham's my friend. That cancer would have killed me. It hurt when she cut it out and it didn't, it was, it's tender for a few days. But thank God she got it out. That's a real friend. Sometimes God needs to take the sword of the sword of the spirit, and it's not always that comfortable. But we've got to get this cancer out of our lives and get it out of our homes, get it out of our land so we can live. It's a real favorite. Here's your homework. I want you to just ask the Holy Spirit of God, because He is the Spirit of Truth. And remember, no, He's not like your mama, He'll tell you the truth. I'm not knocking mamas. Mamas just tend to see the best in us. You get along sometime this week and you look up and you say, is this in my heart? Is there anybody alive or dead that I'm still struggling with? You show me who it is and I'll deal with it because I want to live and I don't want this junk hurting me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you and praise you and thank you. Thank you so much that you came to forgive a man who did not deserve it. I didn't deserve the forgiveness of God, but you've smiled on me and you've been good to me and I give you the praise and thanksgiving. You also came not only to tear down the wall between me and my creator, but you came to tear down the walls between people. Dear Jesus, what has happened in our land that everybody believes they're right with God when they can't speak to each other civilly? Where did we get this kind of religion from? That I'm right with God, but I'm not talking to you. Where did that come from, dear Jesus? I pray in your precious name that you would use your word to expose the truth and expose the enemy of our souls who hates our marriages, hates our homes, hates why you've blessed this land and will do everything to divide us one against the other. I pray for everybody in this room this morning that they will determine before God, I'm a forgiven person and I can afford to forgive and my enemy is not going to divide me against anybody. I'm going to love people and I'm going to walk in love with them and I'm going to reaffirm my love to them. And I'm going to smile about it. I trust you for that. Let Jesus be glorified as you teach us how to walk with one another. As we walk with you in the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen.